For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Stuart Wright, host of the Britflix podcast. Quick warning before you start listening to this one. Um, there is static on the line, as it were. The podcast is recorded over Skype, and unfortunately on this one, there is a kind of constant furry sound, I suppose, uh, white noise that's on. It doesn't stop you hearing what the guest is saying, but just to let you know, that's what it's going to be like for the uh, duration of the podcast. So bear with it, and hopefully it will blend into the background by the time you're five or six minutes in. Over to the podcast. It's the podcast. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Alex Barrett. Hello, Alex. Hello, Stuart. Do you want to tell? Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Do you want to um, tell us what film we're talking about? Yes, and and, and a little bit about it. Yeah, so we're talking about um, a film called London Symphony, uh, which is a film that I've directed and edited and did some of the cinematography on. And essentially, it's a city symphony. And city symphonies, um, for those that don't know, is a genre of film that was predominantly around during the 1920s. And um, essentially, they were sort of creative documentaries that sought to capture the essence of a given city. And they also nowadays, you know, looking back at them, they very much serve as time capsules for the era and the time in which they were made. And we thought that it'd be interesting to try and do something essentially in the style of a film from the 1920s but looking at modern-day London. So we wanted to basically look at life today, but through the lens of the past, and see what that could reveal. So in the same way that kind of historians point to the past to make sense of the present day, we thought we'd do something similar um, and try and sort of highlight the differences between, mainly between sort of the 20s and now, um, and what's kind of changed in those years by sort of using the generic um, codes of that era to, yeah, to just kind of look at life today, really and obviously London today, and celebrate the kind of culture and diversity of London. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like, it, it, when you watch it, it's kind of like an essay without anybody talking, if that yeah. makes sense. And like an, is, can you, you have such a thing as an abstract essay? I don't know. <laughs> <coughs> I yeah, guess no, in cinema you can. So. I mean, very much so. And we also, you know, I suppose, you know, you've mentioned that there's no commentary or text. I mean, we wanted it to be a kind of a, an observational portrait of the city. Um, obviously, it's ultimately an authored piece that comes kind of through our viewpoints. But um, we wanted it to essentially just be a, an open text for people to kind of bring their own ideas to um, and almost be like a, a kind of a piece of music. Um, although, you know, a, the kind of idea of a black and white silent film about a city probably sounds quite hard work. Hopefully when you actually watch it, it's 
it's a more kind of pleasurable, uh, relaxing experience than maybe that sounds. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've, it, when I was watching it, it made me think of, um, and obviously because it's London, it made me think of the the sort of London trilogy or quadrology, I don't know which one you call it now, by Saint Etienne, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. where they did various different sort of obtuse looks at, at the city of London, uh, obviously specific ones they did about the about the South Bank, about um, a journey in the tr- from from Croydon and the Olympic site, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. So it felt it felt like it had that kind of rhythm, that idea that you're going to bombard me with image. You, you're bombarding us with images that don't necessarily segue, but the common the common thing is London, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, those those films. I mean, I was talking just now about how the City Symphony uh, predominantly was around in the 1920s. Mm. But what we've seen in recent years is a kind of a resurgence of the form, but in a slightly different way. Um, so, for instance, you know, Mark Cousins has been doing um, City Symphonies like I Am Belfast and um, Stockholm, My Love. There was the Terence Davis film, um, Of Time in the City. Yeah. So this genre has kind of been coming back, and I think the St. Etienne films sort of fall into that. Um, but obviously all of those films are using a lot of voiceover, or uh, in the case of the St. Etienne films, sometimes they're using kind of um, interviews and snippets uh, of audio uh, as well as the music. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose with, with ours, we've tried to kind of present um, a portrait, uh, sorry, a journey through the city. Um, you know, we filmed in over 300 locations across every borough, and there is a kind of a narrative weave or flow to it, um, even if that's maybe not apparent on um, first viewing, you know, it's, it's a slightly abstract one. Uh, but we do sort of travel around, and there are some thematic connections and uh, a flow, and our, and our film is divided into four movements, um, and each movement kind of has its its own focus slightly. Um, but I think the main difference between what we've done in the, the Sentesne films, um, as well as them having voiceover and us not, as you say, they quite often looked at sort of one specific area of the city, mm. um, whereas we were we were basically looking at all of London. So I think those films are quite, in a way, are quite different from what we've done. But I I certainly would agree with you that they are. Uh, you know, comparisons that we could point to for, for people that can't quite grasp the... Yeah, no, uh, it's, 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 more, it's more the kind of surface, abstract nature of it. But like you say, if you, yeah. if you begin yeah. to pay closer attention, you begin to see that there's something being said. And, and you, without any words or, or um, voiceover, then you're wholly reliant on the language of cinema, aren't you, to, to convey what Absolutely. you're doing? Absolutely. And that was something that was quite... Um, exciting for me. I mean, I, I have an interest in uh, what I would term kind of pure cinema, which is uh, moving away from just, you know, cinema that just tells a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you, you know, t- to me, filmmaking, when it's really interesting is when people are, are using the form itself to try and um, engage you. And I like films that have little to no narrative but aren't boring because I think that those are the films that are really kind of utilising the medium to its fullest potential. Um, and so we were certainly kind of coming with London Symphony from that, uh, that point. And I mean, we have, as I say, we have a lot of kind of themes and a lot of ideas within London Symphony, but there isn't necessarily a narrative, certainly not in a traditional sense. I mean, it follows a kind of a trajectory from dawn to dusk, um, and there are kind of various mini narratives within it. I mean, narrative is too strong a word for what it's doing. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, so we were definitely kind of coming from a place of trying to do something where the the points that are being made and I mean I suppose you could almost say the political commentary or the story or anything like that mm. in pure, purely in the juxtapositions of the images and the way that the shots are framed and trying to uh, make those points actually through the filmmaking itself. What what's what what's a good dropping off point then for that kind of pure that pure cinema as you call it for people just as a reference point? Oh, good question. I mean, I suppose um, there's a you know there's a big um, there's a big range. I mean, you get uh, sort of very kind of experimental stuff um, at kind of one end, and then at the other end you would have something um, say like the films of Bailatar, you know, which are narrative films, but narrative is not their kind of primary focus I, I would say um i don't even know if he would agree with that but to me if you you know if you watch Bela Tarkum, it's as much about kind of the rhythm of the shots and the, the general kind of mood and atmosphere um as it is kind of about telling a, a story in a traditional sense. this is this is about maybe getting away from what we traditionally know as sort of i guess anglo-saxon narrative isn't it in sort of what, what's become the, the stalwart of hollywood movies is that yeah. which is not yeah. always about the language of pure cinema, is it? No, absolutely. And I mean, it's a, against kind of the uh, the so-called intensified continuity. I mean, I don't want to necessarily um, make it kind of about about Hollywood, say, or, or anything like that. It, it, it's not so much about that because you do get um, Hollywood films that kind of maybe move slightly more towards a pure cinema. But it's definitely about it's about films that go beyond storytelling. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's all. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not certainly not trying to pigeonhole you. It's more just to give the listener yeah, yeah. a sense of context as to. Is no, that... absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, a film that I would use as a very good example of pure cinema is *The Naked Island*, a Japanese film, mm -hmm. which is about these people on a on a small island, and it's kind of just about their daily routine of getting water and mm. kind of going backwards and forwards. And you know, narrative is is very thin on the ground, but the film is absolutely captivating. Um, so it's really just about, I mean, obviously film is a, or can be a narrative medium, but I also think that it's more than that. It's essentially, you know, images and music or images and soundtrack. Um, and films that can kind of go beyond just a simple telling of a story, I think, are the films that, for me, really kind of utilise the medium to its fullest potential. I mean, all of this probably sounds very um, pretentious, uh, but I don't necessarily mean it to be. I mean, I, I suppose what I'm saying is that I believe in the power of the medium, and I believe that the medium. No, no, totally. And I think that you should you should you should stand behind that because that's that's the point. I mean, it's it isn't it isn't about you, we can't make things that accommodate everybody's view of the world and everyone understands the world. But if you your your belief in what you're doing and and um, and the pursuit of what you what, what you think cinema can do is is only something you can you can. It's the only way you can relate to it, whereas obviously there are some people that might not understand it and might not appreciate it. But if they see it, they'll know exactly what you're talking about, and that's kind of just to get that sort of... So you, you talked about it being a film in four movements. Yeah. Um, which obviously gives gives us a rhythm anyway, doesn't it? Just to the... Because yeah. uh, I, I remember when I first watched it, it was... Um, I was I was, I was thinking... It felt like it was... <laughs> it did feel like it was naturally closing in on a chapter. You know the way that you've right. edited, the way you've shot it, the way that the, the music was was building and fall, rising and falling, and then it, and then for that first time it did it. Obviously, I, it wasn't like I was expecting it because I kind of went into it cold. Um, mm. But yeah, it definitely felt it felt very very natural when your film announced to me that yeah, here's the second bit, and then then obviously I'm ready for I'm ready for more of that after after that point. But 
that that makes and you've talked about narrative uh, and whether or not it has it has a, an explicit one or an implicit one. So, but but you do have a writer credit for Raheem Moladina. So, what what's yeah. the writer's role in a film like this? Good. Okay. Good question. So, um, I mean, I suppose it comes back to this thing of. Um, you know, I was saying earlier that, that narrative is too strong a word, but there are mm-hmm. essentially kind of mini, mini, I don't know what to call them if you can't use the word narrative, you know, mini ideas, shall we say, that kind of loop around. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so maybe I should just kind of talk generally about the process of how we pulled this together. Maybe that's the best way to kind of answer the question. Go for it. So, um, so, so we actually, me, uh, Raheem, and my composer, James McWilliam, uh, mm-hmm. Jim, so we, we made a short film um, in the same style, sort of in 2009, uh, 2008, something like mm-hmm. that, um, which was, it was actually made for a competition based, funnily enough, around uh, the Guy Madden film, My Winnipeg, which is a city symphony, which also kind of harks back to the silent era, but does mm-hmm. it in a very different way by using kind of intertitles and voiceover text. Got you. And um, we thought, well, why don't we do something that is, you know, a, a kind of a cine poem or a city symphony? Um, and kind of look, it was still this idea kind of of looking at life today through the lens of the past and looking at kind of modernism um, was, was really kind of what we were interested in. And that short film also broke down into four parts, kind of four parts of the musical movement. Um, so then when we decided that we would do a feature-length version, um, it was kind of me that had the idea, and I called up Raheem and I called up Jim and I said, you know, let's do this. And Thankfully, they were both on board because I probably wouldn't have done it without either of them. Mm. Um, so straight away, Raheem and I started talking about what the themes were going to be. We didn't, uh, we didn't just want it to be a kind of a stylistic piece. Um, and obviously, we had kind of the certain themes that we were looking at from the short film that we could kind of carry over to the feature film. Um, and we also kind of thought, or, or one of the reasons why I wanted to make this film at the time that we started making it was it was the rise of a sort of divisive politics within the UK, and I thought that it might be interesting to do something that would celebrate London and particularly kind of celebrate its um, community and the diversity of that community and the kind of cosmopolitan nature of the city. Right. So we, we instantly kind of started talking about that and, you know, the, the way that it was the age of austerity, but there was lots of building work and the fact that the physical shape of the city was changing. You know, a lot of what we were interested in was actually the kind of shape of the city itself. Um, and there is a kind of focus in the film on architecture. Um, so Raheem and I started basically talking about these themes and how we were going to develop them, what other sub-themes we wanted to be in there, um, and essentially kind of created uh, a script from that. Um, and Raheem did write a very kind of traditional, uh, proper script um, about, you know, obviously there's no dialogue in it or anything like that, but there was a script that kind of said, you know, we see this, we see this. Um, and that was kind of the starting point for, for the work we did moving forward. Okay. Um, ultimately, I didn't, we didn't really stick to the script because what I didn't want it to do was... So, for instance, Raheem would write in his script very specific ideas like, um, you know, we see an empty fish and chip wrapper blowing down the street, yeah. uh, you know, newspaper. And I, I thought, well, if we do that, then we are basically just going out and we're filming the script, whereas what I want to do is to go out and respond to London as we find it. Um, so really what we did is we used Rohim's script to then um, make a list of locations. So we kind of then, uh, I basically called a location list out of Rohim's script. Cool. And that, that then kind of expanded um, and expanded. Uh, <laughs> and then we kind of started talking to other people about, you know, what London meant to them. And we incorporated ideas and locations from them. Um, and so essentially we were working from this location list rather than from Rohim's script. Um, but uh, around the time that Raheem and I were working on the script, our composer 
also wrote a structure for the music that he was going to write. And that broke it down basically into the four movements, but it also broke each of the four movements down into the subsections, um, all the different kind of subparts, and it told us the exact duration of each of those parts. Um, it also told us things like the mood, the tone, and the tempo. And so I was then able to kind of take the locations and the ideas and the script and basically kind of rewrite something that was essentially kind of assigning different ideas and different locations to each of those individual subsections of the movements. Um, and that was kind of how it then came together. And I wrote, um, I basically wrote another draft of this kind of, um, it was more of a structured outline than a proper script. And I wrote that just before the shoot and then I totally rewrote it, just, just kind of going into the edit. Um, so that was kind of how we did it. So um, it was it was actually a very written film, and everything that we shot was shot with a very particular purpose in mind. And we knew kind of roughly where it was going to go in the film and roughly what its purpose was going to be. It wasn't kind of like we just went out and shot a whole bunch of footage with no idea how we were going to assemble it. Um, it was kind of, you know, we know that, for instance, we know that we've got a section that is looking at building work. So every time you see some building work in London, you know, let's shoot that. And then we kind of know that we've got a couple of minutes at the start of the film where all that footage is going to kind of be edited and go. Mm. And so, you know, we did have a massive shoot. <clears throat> I don't want to kind of undermine how much stuff we shot, but everything that we shot was kind of shot with a very specific purpose in mind um, as to where it was going to go in the film. And that kind of went back to the, the kind of writing that we had done. It sounds, it sounds as well, it sounds like the, 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 um, the development of it from from the from the seed of your idea coming out of your your short film to trying mm. to make it into a feature, and I'm guessing some of what you're talking about were lessons learned from making the short anyway, um, but it sounds like um, a very even evolutionary process to develop him because obviously if Raheem presents you with a screenplay of some description that that, that itemises what what he thinks you should be seeing, and your your reaction is then to sort of go okay. I, it's it's a it's about understanding the intent of what he's saying in that image, and then going what either what can we get or what do I what do we need, and then like you say, you spoke to people to get some sort of a little bit more understanding. So that kind of either dotted an I and crossed a T, or made you change your mind, so to speak. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, I mean it was definitely a very kind of organic um, process, mm. and and it was really you know it was kind of it all really went back to those you know, those thematic conversations that we were having right at the start in mm. terms of the kind of ideas and the themes that we wanted to express through the film um, and then kind of developing it from there. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking to people um, a lot. It was basically, so we, um, we funded the film through, uh, through crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And when we went into the crowdfunding campaign, we thought we were going to shoot in about 200 locations. And wow. by the time we came out of the crowdfunding campaign, um, our list of locations was over 400. Um, so that was kind of, you know, the scale at which we were, we were kind of working and thinking about things. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, it was, it was, you know, so Raheem, for instance, wrote a sequence in the script um, about uh, Langor, and um, it's, it, which is kind of a free food that is given out in Sikh temples, mm. and that kind of made it into the script, uh, sorry, into the film fairly, um, you know, fairly wholeheartedly. There is yeah. a scene in that in the film where someone kind of goes to. Sikh temple and Hassan food. So there were things that, some things that kind of carried over. But then, um, you know, there were other things like Raheem would kind of write, oh, we see a church. And I kind of was like, well, you know, there are so many churches in London, let's, let's film as many as possible. Um, and things, the things just kind of snowballed, I suppose. Um, and I think in Raheem's script, he kind of mentioned two or three of the bridges in London. And I was like, no, we're going to film on every bridge. 
from um, you know the Thames barrier to Hampton Court. So it's basically every, every bridge from east to west. Um, so there so were kind of you know ideas like that basically. I think I think one of the things that's, that uh, it always sounds trite when I say this, but when, I, I can only frame it. When, when when one of the things interesting to me is that when somebody decides to give their eye to a city like you guys have done it's it's impossible not to sort of bring your own your own view of the city first as as a filter as it were you know I, I, my instinct was to go do I recognize that do I recognize this guy I live in London so it's like it's there are bits where I'm going oh I've been there I know that and then it's like like for example the cable car sequence yeah and it's like something's like wow I never thought it looked that fantastic I mean, I've passed it a hundred times, but I've never stopped to look at it, if yeah. that makes sense. And suddenly you've made yeah. me look at somewhere for longer than I would do. And I think so, that's one of the beauties in your film. Yeah, well, that's lovely to hear. I mean, one of the things with me when I, when I decided to make this film was that mm -hmm. my whole you know, approach to London changed. I, I'm very much, or used to very much be one of those Londoners that would you know, have your head down and your feet kind of shuffling along, rushing from one place to the next. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I thought, oh, I'm going to actually make a, you know, I'm gonna make a film about London, I should actually start paying attention to the city. You know, you kind of slow down and you look up mm. and start seeing things you know, in a way that you've never seen them. You know, one of the aims that we wanted to do with the film, it was kind of either show um, parts of the city that people haven't seen before or show them areas they do know, but in an interesting way. So to actually hear you say, oh, you know, well, I, I know that cable car, but I've never seen it look like that. I mean, that's perfect because, you know, that's exactly what we were trying to do was to kind of, I suppose, open people's eyes and make them actually kind of look at the city. Well, that's the beauty of framing, isn't it? If you, you frame the, yeah. pit, you frame the, pit, the image right, and I'm suddenly looking at it without everything else. You're making me focus on a detail that is all around me because the built environment is very constructed, very purposeful. Yeah. But but obviously you, you're almost abstracted, aren't you? By the time when you give me a frame of just some of it, because obviously yeah. what's not in frame is what I can't see. So I'm I'm forced to look at just what you show me. No, very much. And we we really wanted to um, build up our portrait of the city through the small details. Mm. Uh, so everything was kind of, as you say, I suppose, about, you know, selecting a certain frame. Um, but there are also quite a lot of close-ups, you know, considering mm. it's a film about a city, there, there are actually quite a few close-ups in the film. And it was really kind of about trying to um, build a picture of the whole through the individual details rather than just, you know, a whole bunch of wide shots saying, here's the city, you know, pick something out. It was obviously us kind of guiding the viewer, um, you know, we bill it as a journey through the city, and we are kind of your tour guide, you know, if you want to Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Now it's, uh, called, now, it's called London Symphony, and obviously you yeah. mentioned about your, your com the composer element. So how then, you, you've, you've walked us through how organically you, you, you go from script to what you film to what ends up being the edit. So, yeah. in terms of the involvement of the composer, how much influence does the music have on what you end up, what we end up seeing? Or does the composer react to what you give them that we're going to end up seeing? Oh, good question. It, it was kind of a mixture of both. I mean, um, so we were talking to to Jim right from the very beginning. So he mm. was very involved um, throughout the whole process in terms of um, the kind of, the, as I was saying, you know, the structure and the shape of the final film. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I suppose in terms of the actual content, uh, maybe... He, he was slightly less involved. I mean, he obviously gave us ideas and, you know, feedback. And, I mean, where we were, um, 
looking at things. So, so obviously when he was kind of laying out the structure of what he was doing musically, mm-hmm. he would sort of say, for example, um, you know, this section uh, establishes a theme which would then, um, you know, be kind of built on and, and change. And he's talking about the music, but we would then kind of say, okay, well, you know, if he's establishing his musical theme and then developing it here, we can kind of do the same with our visuals. Um, but, but as I was saying, he was also, um, you know, I knew from his structure what the kind of the rhythm was going to be and the tempo. And so he was very much affecting the kind of the mood of each movement. And so we knew, for instance, that the second movement was going to be the kind of the slow movement. So that then kind of, you go, okay, well, if it's the slow movement, then uh, that's where our kind of our part section can be, because that's going to be the more leisurely part. And actually, originally, um, Jim wanted the slow movement to be movement three. So I said, well, look, you know, the second movement is going to be our kind of our lunchtime movement and our mm. kind of slow ones, and maybe we could have the slow one there. And that was, I think, really the only big input that I had on the score was to say, let's swap those two movements around. And that was done very early on when we were at script stage. Um, but the other thing was that, you know, the whole film, um, as you say, it's called London Symphony, and the whole approach that I took to the kind of the visuals and the editing was musical. And so even when I was editing without actually having the music, um, I was still very much thinking about uh, all the notes that I had had from Jim but also about the kind of the internal rhythm and motion of the shots hmm. and bringing, trying to bring a sense of musicality to them and in certain cases even kind of orchestrating that. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of shots where there'll be, say, um, just as an example, you know, a person on one side of the screen and a bird on the other side of the screen. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that'll be a shot that we've held for five minutes and the person will be there at, you know, minute one and the bird will be there at minute four. And I've then kind of basically done a split screen, so you see them there together. Mm. And I've kind of orchestrated that movement so that it has a rhythm to it that maybe doesn't um, exactly mirror what the music is doing, but has its own kind of internal musicality to it. Um, Because what Jim was doing with the music was uh, essentially writing his own um, reflection of London. He was kind of doing his own interpretation of the city uh, orally. And so, you know, he's spoken... um, in interviews that he's done about how he wanted it to kind of be ugly and chaotic at certain points, but kind of beautiful and serene at other points. And um, he was trying essentially with his music to create his own portrait of London. Um, and so it's not, it's, although the whole film is based around the music, um, it's not a music video, but it's also not um, a kind of a traditional score. Uh, in the sense that, you know, he's come in and he's totally written something to picture. Although ultimately he did write most of the music to picture, he wasn't trying to just reflect what was on screen. He was trying to okay, bring so you, yeah, so you, so, so you as the, the director weren't, weren't demanding a certain, a certain tone to the music all the time. There was a freedom given to your composer to not just be a score for the image, but a score yeah. that was reflective of the tone and themes you were trying to do in the film? No, I mean, we looked at it more as a kind of, almost as an interdisciplinary, um, you know, moving image work. Okay. uh, There was kind of the music. We always knew that the music was going to be just as important as the images. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, we kind of looked at what he was doing as being just as big a part of the project as what I was doing. Mm. Um, And, yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't have very much input in the music, not necessarily because I didn't, uh, have anything to say, but just because it, you know, it was an open collaboration between me and him. Got so, although I'm the director, I was very much not really directing the music. I was very much kind of, you know, 
Jim knows what he's doing. He's an experienced composer. I've chosen to work with him because I believe in his music. Let's kind of do this as, as a collaboration. And we were almost working... I mean, we were working very closely together, but it was almost like we were kind of working in tandem and we were, um, you know, he was essentially creating something that was its own individual piece in its own right. And we very much hope that the music kind of stands up uh, in its own right, as well as kind of being something oh, yeah. that supports the now, images. Now, I'm talking to you on Tuesday the 24th of October, so for anyone who's listening to this close to that date, you've got, uh, you're bringing the music live alongside the film for some events, aren't you? So you want to tell us about those? Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, we've, we've done a couple already, and we've got two more uh, still to come. Mm -hmm. And um, we teamed up with the Covent Garden Symphonia to basically do, um, you know, some live presentations of the store. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, you know, we, we always thought that the music was going to be equally important to the kind of visuals here, and that it was more than just a store. Mm -hmm. And so we always knew that our kind of our live uh, or our release, our kind of theatrical tour was going to be more than just about um, regular cinema screenings. And so actually we've kind of, so our, our release strategy has basically been to kind of tour the film around to key locations and key kind of communities, both inside and outside of London. Right. Um, but we've been doing these kind of, these live events, which are kind of particularly special. And so on Saturday, which is the 28th uh, of October, we're doing one uh, in Wimbledon. Um, and it's, uh, it's in the first fully consecrated Hindu temple in Europe. Wow. Uh, the Sri Ganapati Temple. And it's a really kind of beautiful uh, place. Uh, and one of the things that we really like about them um, is they do a lot of kind of interfaith work. And we have a section of the film which is kind of looking at um, the different religions within London in a kind of a positive light and the way that they interact with each other. So we're kind of delighted to be in this. You know, it's going to be a really special event, basically, in mm -hmm. a beautiful Hindu temple um, with the live orchestra um, basically kind of performing this. Um, so that's going to be really special. And mm -hmm. then we're doing another one in November as well, um, on the 17th, I believe, which is um, in at Filmbox Community Cinema uh, in Beckenham, which is a kind of a not-for-profit venture run by volunteers. And uh, we've been doing quite a lot of screenings with kind of community cinemas and film clubs and film societies. And it's a really interesting network of sort of you know, film hubs around uh, the UK. And it's and most of them are kind of not-for-profit and, and run by volunteers. And they're basically just people that love cinema. Um, and for, you know, filmmakers like us, that's really inspiring to basically be kind of going out to these places. Um, and they're often in kind of, you know, places that don't necessarily have a, a traditional cinema near them, or certainly not a kind of an art cinema. Um, and they're just showing really interesting films, and they're kind of doing it for, for the love of it and serving the community. And London Symphony was always kind of a community project. We were always sort of working with different groups within London to uh, to kind of present their side of it or, um, you know, just to kind of help out. We When we did our crowdfunding campaign, we essentially built a community around the film and we wanted it to, to be some kind of community project. Um, so it wasn't just kind of this, you know, little insular film that was just kind of two or three people were making it. Um, so yeah, and it's, I mean, it's really, the, the whole film takes on a different life when there's live music. Because as I said, the music was, you know, as important as the images. And um, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing way to see it, um, if you can. And, and what other um, screening, screening opportunities are there for people to see the film? So we've basically, we've been doing this tour, which has been um, actually going to over 45 venues uh, around the UK. We've mm -hmm. kind of been on the road, so to speak, since the beginning of September. 
So we're a fair way through that now. Um, people can obviously go on our website um, and look up our kind of remaining dates. Okay, uh, well, I'll, put, I'll put those in the show notes so people can uh, check them for themselves. But how, how far do the dates run to at the moment? So we, at the moment, we culminate um, on the 23rd of February next year uh, okay. with a screening at Southwark Cathedral, um, which is going to be in the kind of the main nave of the cathedral by candlelight. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's not live, but it's going to be, you know, equally special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, it sounds very uh, special. But we've got, I mean, we've got loads. So I'm off to Scotland um, next week for basically a kind of a mini, score of top, uh, mini tour of Scotland. Got you. Um, and then we've kind of got uh, some more film club screenings coming up in kind of Kent, Buckinghamshire, um, Hampshire. Uh, we're going to be at home in Manchester in December. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of we've got a few more London runs. We're at the Bernie Grant Art Centre in Tottenham, and we're going to be at the Stone Stowe Film Lounge in Walthamstow. Um, so yeah, lots of kind of exciting places still to come. Um, and yeah, I'm particularly excited about Scotland. I think it's going to be really interesting. We we because the film premiered at the Edinburgh Film Festival in June. Okay. Um, and had a really nice response up there. We were in competition for the Michael Powell, which was something we were really not expecting with a small film like this to kind of be uh, in competition. So we were delighted. And the response to the film was great. So it'll be really nice to kind of be back in Scotland and taking the film up there as well. No, totally. Uh, stylistically speaking, and this might be a reflection of doing pure cinema, but, but for, for people who come to this, this cold to go and see it, they'll notice that the... Uh, the ratio that you've chosen to pre- project, present it in is different than what we're used to seeing in this day and age. So what, is, uh, is that 4-3 that you've done it in? It is, it is 4-3, yeah, absolutely. And that really kind of goes back to um, the decision to try and do something in the style of a film from the 1920s. Okay. Um, so what we were really trying to do, I mean, as I kind of said, this, this idea of kind of pointing to the past. Got you. Um, but we were basically trying to invoke those films of the 20s and... For the people that know those films well, um, so films like Berlin, Symphony of the Great City, or Man with a Movie Camera, mm-hmm. um, there are certain ideas in those films that we parallel in, in our film, um, which I think highlight some of the differences between them and now. So, for instance, you know, when those films were made, it was very much the kind of era of industrialization, and so their scenes of people at work were often kind of in molten steel mills and things like that. Um, was our scenes of people at work, you know, people sitting at their office at a computer, because now we're in the digital age. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we're sort of deliberately kind of drawing parallels, basically, between between those films and our film, and kind of between then and now. No, no, that makes a little sense. So, last two questions for you, uh, and about this is more about your you coming out of this experience. So. And I often ask this to documentary filmmakers, and 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 in a, in a way that you know that what you're doing is 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 a form of documentary. Um, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what did you, what did you see about London that you hadn't appreciated before making the movie? I mean, I think um, as I say, it really kind of changed my um, perspective just on just kind of on the way that I walk around the city. And I suppose now I just pay a lot more attention to it. Um, mm. And when I say pay attention to it, I don't mean, um, you know, necessarily politically or anything like that. I mean in terms of the physicality of the city. Mm. Um, and I mean the film, the film certainly has um, some political points in it, but uh, those were, you know, that hasn't my opinion on those hasn't necessarily changed since mm. making the film. But what has changed, I think, is my relationship to the kind of physical city itself. And the film does have a, a focus on architecture. Um, I was kind of interested in, in the physical shape of the city because I think that in years to come, you know, whenever I watch an old, an old film that's set in London, 
I'm always kind of searching the buildings in the background to see what's changed and what hasn't. Mm. And I think that the buildings themselves are the kind of, you know, they're what, in a way, have the stars of the past and also, um, you know, the presence of the future. And obviously, it's the people that make the buildings. So it's not that I'm not interested in people, and obviously, there are lots of people in the film. Um, but I think in terms of the way that the city itself is actually changing, in a way, looking at the buildings is the clearest marker of that. And, you know, we now have all these, um, you know, amazingly beautiful Hindu temples that have kind of sprung up, just as an example. Um, and, you know, saying that the one in Wimbledon is the uh, first fully consecrated Hindu temple in Europe, I mean, it's still um, only been there, I believe, since the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's still actually relatively recent. And so seeing these kind of buildings spring up in London is a real kind of... Um, example of how the city is kind of changing, how the people within the city are changing. Mm. Um, and so that's why I kind of look as much towards the architecture towards anything else, because I think that, you know, seeing a building like that come up is, is fascinating and beautiful and a real example of the diversity which, you know, we should be celebrating within the city. Now, it's, it's largely shot in monochrome, but there is, there is a kind of shock of colour in the final movement yeah. that you chose to do. What was... What was your motivation there, having done something that was, like, like you say, harking back to a time? Obviously, they wouldn't, back in the 20s, they wouldn't have been able to do that. So what was your decision-making there? Well, actually, funnily enough, one of the reasons why we wanted to do it was because um, in the 1920s, they often did have odd shots of colour. Oh, right. Um, That's telling me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we were particularly influenced by a film called Lonesome, uh, okay. which was made in 1928 on the kind of cusp of the sound and silent era and um it sort of starts a little bit as a city symphony but it's basically a kind of a two-handed uh, love story but they go to coney island and uh there is kind of a sequence um near the end where you have the lights of coney island in color um, and what you would have in those you know those times obviously they didn't have color film stock but they had um kind of hand tinted colour or, you know, stenciled colour, and people mm -hmm. were basically kind of painting, essentially painting in the colour. Um, so we wanted to kind of put it in partly as a, a reminder um, that, you know, films of that era weren't always uh, in black and white, even though that's a kind of common uh, conception. But we also just liked the idea, um, or I liked the idea of the lights of the West End being in colour. So that's the shock of colour that we have is mm. uh, some of the kind of theatre lights and just this idea of suddenly... Uh, these lights kind of being in colour and kind of, um, yeah, it just, it felt right. Um, we were always trying to do something um, slightly different kind of throughout the film and, and, you know, we have moments of kind of split screen or um, just kind of ways to sort of keep, keep the film interesting as well for viewers, um, but never in a way that was kind of um, unmotivated, so never style for style's sake, but always something that was kind of motivated by what we were doing. But at the same time, it would be, you know, we have, for instance, that uh, there's an animation halfway through from some Moybridge photographs, um, Edward Moybridge. Mm. Um, so little things like that, just to kind of mix it up and kind of help keep it engaging for the viewer as well. No, 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 it's, it's a delightful piece of work. And uh, thank you very much for, um, for taking time to come and talk to us on, on the Bluffy's podcast about it. Not at all. It's been a, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.